You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Well, good morning. Hey, before we get going, I just want to state the obvious. Stay cool today. Stay hydrated. Those at home, please do that. We want to make sure that everyone... Uh, everyone stays safe. These are going to be a few hot days, so we want you to take care of yourself, take care of your friends. Look around, see what kind of uh, condition your neighbors might be in, the, uh, the elderly. We want to watch over them. I uh, got a hold of my mom last night. How's my mom and dad doing? That's what I asked. And my, uh, my mom said that my dad would not go in, that he was staying outside. He was working. He's almost 90. He was outside. He was working, and uh, he wouldn't go in until she threatened him that I was going to come over and make him go inside. See, roles have reversed now. I mean, I'm taking care of my parents. They used to take care of me. That's not a bad gig. And so we want to make sure that we keep, uh, we keep everyone safe. With that said, we're continuing our series, Jesus for Everyone. And if you have a Bible today, open your Bible to Luke chapter 21. We're going to look at Luke chapter 21. We have Bibles in the building around under your seats. We'll also have the scripture on the overhead today. But we want to continue this study. And today what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, We're going to take the whole passage, Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 38, And we're going to read it together because it just deserves that kind of attention. Typically, what I like to do is break it down a little more. But Jesus is in a flow here. He's talking about the latter days. He's talking about the kingdom of God being set up. And there's really no good breaking points for us to stop and just uh, interrupt the, the teaching of Jesus. Remember this. It's in his last few hours of life here on this planet. And so he's very focused, very determined that we understand what it's like for us to, to know what the last days are about and know what it is to, to serve Jesus and to love Jesus. And so he's going to do that today for us in this passage of Scripture. I want to hear what our Lord has to say to us, so let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts today, that you would give us wisdom, understanding when we look at your word Your word is precious to us. Your word instructs us, and your word gives us the hope, the light that we need to live every single day. We just thank you for your good work. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say, amen. Some of his disciples were remarking about the temple and its adornment with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left upon another. Every one of them will be absolutely torn down. Just remember that statement. He said it once before, and now he's saying it again. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And then Jesus replied. He said, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will seize you and they'll persecute you. 
They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name, and you will bear testimony of me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand. Listen to that. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you the words, I'll give you the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm. And you will win life. And when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those that are in the cities get out. Let those that are in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of that which has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against the people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And Jesus goes on in verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars... On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming onto the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up. Stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them this parable. He said, look at the fig tree. The fig tree is a symbol of Israel, once again, as vineyards are the same. And all the trees, and when they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close in on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on you all of those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always On the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that it is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend a night on the hill called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. He's telling us about the last days. He's telling us about what leads up to those last days. He's letting us know, here are the seasons, here are the things that are going to take place. And when Jesus speaks this way, he's also very much aware that this is all under the authority of his Father in heaven. Remember what he says on that day before Pentecost when he's about to ascend, and they said, when are you going to come back? And they said, it's it's not for you to know the times or the places. This is under the authority of my Father in heaven. 
but he is giving us a sketch. He's giving us an overview. He's giving us a look. So when you see this passage of Scripture, it's known by scholars as the Mount of Olivet Discourse. And this simply means Jesus teaching on the Mount of Olives. When you look at Luke chapter 21, as we just read, you're going to find out that it's similar to Matthew 24. If you're taking notes, you can go cross-reference and Mark chapter 13. In Matthew 24, it tells us some other things. And it says that Jesus spoke these things on the Mount of Olives when his disciples pointed out the stones on the building. Now, what you need to know about this is that it could be both. That what's happening here is Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives, but he also taught in the temple courts. Did you see how that went back and forth? And that Jesus would give variations of messages. He might be teaching his disciples, then another time he's teaching his crowd. But what he's doing is he's giving portions. And I believe many of the sermons that Jesus preached, he repeated in different ways, in different forms, in different places for his disciples, different times and places for the crowd. And it makes me feel It makes me feel good when I read things like this because if Jesus repeated himself in three and a half years of ministry, then you got to put up with me repeating myself in 33 and a half years because I know I have. And here's what happens. When, When a preacher has something in their heart like Jesus did, and that's our redemption, you're going to hear that redemption fold out in so many different ways because it is his passion. The Bible says that it was his passion. You are his passion. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus kept us, again, front and center. So when you hear a message, whether it's Jesus or other preachers, when you hear that, you're going you're gonna to hear this, this resonating word, something that is fundamental to their message, to their preaching. Some of the things that you're going to hear here is that we make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. You've heard that. Keep Jesus the main thing. Let the main thing be the main thing. The word of God is powerful. It's strong. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so what Jesus is doing is he's bringing this message. Now, here's the difference between Luke and the other gospel writers. And I, I just want to point it out. I want to point it out because Luke pointed it out. Luke is the only one that inserts the story in those first four verses in chapter 21 about the widow. This isn't an accident. This just didn't happen. He does that because if you remember what he's after, Luke is always wanting us to understand the least, the last, and the lost. So what does he do before he talks about the most, the grandeur of the temple? He talks about the least, a widow. And then he draws your attention, masterfully draws your attention to the grandeur of this amazing, this amazing temple. And it wouldn't be unusual on any given day for anyone to marvel at the temple. The temple was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. I have a, a rendition of it at the time of Christ. That's what it looked like. That's what they would have seen. They would have looked at this. They would have seen it. You can see the temple courts are there. This is amazing when you look at the the structure here. The structure took 80 years to build, and it was still being built when it was destroyed or sieged in uh, 64 to 70 A.D. The whole temple compound was 36 acres. This is what the temple looked like then, and this is what it, it looks like now. So where you see the Dome of the Rock is where the temple once sat. 
Now it's occupied by the Muslims. Now it's occupied and uh, they have daily prayers up on that mount. You can get up there. Those that have gone to Israel with us and Jerusalem with us, we've been up on the Temple Mount and uh, we've walked through it. And it's a, it's, a, it's a dark place now. It used to be full of light, full of God's presence. Now it, it, is, uh, it is a dark place. You can feel it. In fact, there are times that we've been up there that you don't even hear the birds sing anymore. Uh, you just, the life, life, abundant life is actually taken away. It's not there. So this is what you see This is what you see today when you would go to Israel. The temple is gone now, uh, according to the prophecy of Jesus. Now remember, Jesus gave this prophetic word. He gave this prophetic word in alignment with the Old Testament prophets as well. This is the Dome of the Rock. Um, we, were, uh, we were up there, I think our first trip up there, and I think that's what the next picture is. We were up there, and we were at the Dome of the Rock, and Nat and I just kind of snuck away. It was before we took a larger group. We didn't know any better. We were rookies. We hadn't been there before. We were just hanging out on the Dome of the Rock. It was fairly empty. Um, I saw an open door, and I thought, oh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's go through that open door. We didn't know that uh, we are never invited. Infidels are never, ever invited into that place. But we walked in. We were pretty naive. I think we got in eight or ten feet. They figured out that we were infidels. They figured out we were foreigners. And they were very quick to, to rush us out. Uh, but the amazing thing is, I want to tell you this, the amazing thing there is when we were there, I, we, we saw Mount Moriah. We saw, they have it exposed. The stone inside is exposed. The very place that Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. This is the very place all of this took place. This is where it happened. This is the, the threshing floor of Ornan that, that David bought from Ornan is right here in this very place. And so... Uh, we were fortunate enough to, to by accident, be able uh, to see that, and it's a marvelous thing. And so when, you, when you're there, uh, there's still much standing. That the, When Jesus was, was alive and, and walking on the planet, there's still a lot of things that are there. You still can visit, and you can see those things today. We're taking a trip in May 2022, and so we want to continue to keep that in front of us. And I'll tell you why. We keep this in front of us because one of the instructions, and I'm going to drive it home today, one of the instructions that we've been given is we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what we've been asked to do, to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel, and that we continue to keep our eyes focused there. And there's a reason we do as believers in Jesus Christ, and we're going to unpack that a little more. But the magnificent of this temple, one scholar said that you could see it from 30 miles away because it was made of white marble and gold. The temple took 80 years, as I said earlier, to build. It employed 18,000 men over the period of time that it was built. Uh, So anytime anyone would go there, they would be caught with the grandeur of this temple. And Jesus is looking at it. He's talking about something that is very dear to the heart of the Israelites, very dear to the heart, especially of the religious leaders. So you have to put your ears on like that. Listen to it in that context that he's speaking of it. And he's saying not one stone is going to be left on another. Not one stone is going to be left. The Jewish Talmud says, He who has not seen the temple in its glory has never seen a beautiful building before. 
And yet, Jesus predicts that it will be destroyed, and this gets their attention. See, the only way that I can make this even close to things that we've experienced, uh, I would say for us, it would be similar to, probably not quite as much, but similar to the destruction of the Twin Towers. How you felt, where were you when that happened? This would be similar feelings that the children of Israel, especially uh, the Jewish leaders of their day, could not ever believe that something would destroy or take down the temple. We would probably have that same feeling when we looked at the Twin Towers several years ago before its destruction and say the same. How could that be? How could that ever, ever happen? Well, that's what happened. This is what Jesus predicts. Jesus said, see these big stones? See all these things, and they were, many of them, the ashlers are cornerstones, that's what an ashler means, uh, weighed 400 tons. And he said, don't make that a big deal. <laughs> that's what he says. He's telling his disciples, hey, and anyone listening, when, he, when he's teaching, he says, don't, don't make that a big deal. Don't make this a big deal. It's all coming down. It's all going to be destroyed. Because my presence is changing. The presence of God is now going to come in the form of the Holy Spirit. Be alive in believers, which we experienced on the day of Pentecost, and we can still know the power of His Holy Spirit alive in us today. So we are now the temple. We are now the place that God's presence resides. In 70 AD, the prophecy of Jesus came true. The Romans surrounded the city. It was called a siege tactic. And they surrounded the city and they brought it down. What they did is they held siege to the city and they starved the people out. It's one of the most torturous, awful, horrific ways to die. They wouldn't let anyone in and they wouldn't let anyone out. They just bided their time. No fresh water. No ability to find food. All of these things were were. We're done. We understand that they just sat there and they sieged the place. It was so devastating that the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus said, if you were to visit the city after the destruction, you would have never, ever believed anyone ever lived there. You would have never believed anyone could have ever lived there. And remember, it was thriving. This isn't just a, a city. This is a city of God that, uh, that had millions of people during Passover would arrive there. People could not imagine that this would actually take place. Jesus predicts all of this. He says, not one stone shall be left upon another. And then they respond this way. Listen to the response. They said, uh, what they said is, not one stone is left on another. And they said, teacher, when will these things happen? happen? That's a good question. But you need to know what they were thinking. You need to know their frame of mind. And this is where we get into it a little bit. They were not thinking the end of days as we understand the end of days. They were actually thinking that this was going to take place right away. And and when I say right away, they were thinking within hours. They were thinking within hours because if you remember just a few days before who who they received on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, he's come, he's arrived. The Messiah is here. So they're thinking that the physical kingdom of God is going to be established in hours. So this is, this is what they're setting their mind on. That, this is what they're looking at. They were not thinking that it was going to happen down the road. 
They were not thinking that it was going to be 2,000 years since they even asked that question. They were thinking the end of days is going to happen this week. It's going to happen right now, not any longer than the Passover. This is when it was going to happen. Why? Because they believed again that the kingdom of God was coming to earth immediately. They were thinking 2,000 years is a long ways away. That's not in their mind. They were thinking any day. And let me say this to you. The disciples that were following Jesus, even his inner circles, believe this. And I'm saying that because this will explain, this will explain the betrayal of Judas. The betrayal of Judas was a, obviously a betrayal of Jesus Christ, but it was a political betrayal as well. You see, the most political out of the disciples was who? Judas, the zealot. He was into the kingdom of God coming immediately, overthrowing the Romans, establishing a physical throne, a physical kingdom in Jerusalem. He starts to see the week isn't going that well for Jesus Christ. He starts to see that the person he's put his hope in is now being arrested, he's now being beaten, he's now being tortured, and what does he do? He, he, he's already betrayed him. He sees what's happening. And he betrays him because it's not happening the way that he thought it would happen. As many did the same thing. Crucify him. Crucify him. Who do we set free? Do we set Barabbas or do we set Jesus? Set free Barabbas. Because he's not who he said he was. We believe that he was our king. That he was going to actually overthrow the Romans. And so here you can understand a little bit of the mindset Now, from our vantage point, we know God's kingdom on earth is still yet to come. So what are we waiting for? What are the things we're waiting for? Well, there are two two high watermarks that you are waiting for, that I'm waiting for, that the scripture speaks of. First of all, is Jesus Christ coming toward the earth? That's spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. After that. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The uh, Greek word there is harpazo, which is where we get the word rapture. So we are going to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the Bible makes this two different events. Now, we don't know how, how much time happens between The first event, this one right here, and the next one is, this is the second thing we're waiting for, Jesus Christ comes to the earth and he establishes his kingdom. And that's explained to us, told to us in several different places. Revelation chapter 20, you can take a note, uh, write that down. You can see it in Matthew 24, Mark 13. It talks about these. It's setting up his kingdom here on earth. Now, Do we know all the details of this? We do not know all the details of all this. Remember, it's under the Father's authority. Jesus said, even in his discussion with the disciples, hey, I don't have all this. The Father in heaven, he's the one who knows. He's the one who knows. So Jesus has indicated, and even here will indicate, there's a coming kingdom. But not right now. And it hasn't come yet in 2,000 years. But when it happens... Notice this. You have to understand this. This is why it's important that we continue to pray for Israel, why we pray for the city of Jerusalem. Notice that Jerusalem is always at the epicenter. Whenever you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom to come, whenever you hear the prophets talk about both major and minor prophets, 
That's because Israel, and especially Jerusalem, is at the very center of God's prophetic calendar. That everything that is prophetic in Scripture, you're going to find Jerusalem at the center. God loves the whole world. We know that. But Israel is always at the center. You can read Daniel chapter 9 and see the holy city of God, the holy city of Jerusalem, being established on this planet in Jerusalem. Now I want you to notice something. Notice how Jesus answers the question. This is, this is interesting to me. When they said, teacher, when will these things happen? What does he say in verses 7 and 8? He says, don't be deceived. Almost an odd way to answer a question about time and sequence and season. The first thing that Jesus says is he says to his listeners, do not be deceived. And I think that's the same thing he would say to you today. When we ask and are absorbed with the times and seasons and events, especially, let's say, in the last 18 months, what do you think the first thing that Jesus is going to say to you when you ask him about that? He's going to say the same thing he said 2,000 years ago. Do not be deceived. This is foremost in the way Jesus interacts with us. Foremost in the way that he interacts with his disciples and in fact is always on the front burner when we talk about the end of times. So what he's saying is don't be deceived and then we can get through everything else. Don't be deceived and, 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 and the th- things will work out. And I'll tell you a few things. But the first thing that I want you to know is don't be deceived. It's always interesting. Interesting way to answer the question when, when this is going to happen. He says, listen, don't be deceived. See, we, we're more concerned oftentimes, more concerned with the when. We want to know information. You know, we, we want to, we're just, we always want, we can't get enough of the information. We're still trying to get more information. Everyone's trying to get information. And Jesus knows that in information, when it's not coming from his word, when it's not coming from his mouth, that there is a proneness, a a way that we'll go that we'll wander. We can be deceived. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying, hey, guys, I don't want you to pay attention to the information as much as I want you to pay attention to the transformation. That you have to pay attention to the who. And the who is always Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said that when he went into this mess in Corinthian, the the Corinth church, in in the Corinthian church, he said, I determined not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Jesus answers by saying, listen, many, many, many are going to come in my name saying, I am he. They're going to come. And Jesus goes on and says, many, many will say, I am he and I am the answer. So many are going to do that. And that's why he says, don't be deceived. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Timothy writes this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This is remarkable. 
This is remarkable, and especially from someone who, who pastors a community and is involved in a community. And, and what I've been able to witness in the last 18 months, the things that I think well-meaning, good people have been caught up in. And Jesus says, listen, the first thing he says, don't be deceived. If anyone says or you want to attach Messiah-like qualities or characteristics to these people, do not be deceived. They are not me. They are not the answer. Jesus is saying there's only one, and that's me. I'm the answer. And I'm looking out there and seeing all the different things that are going on in the, the, the information world. Again, Jesus is speaking to us. He's speaking to us. And if you look at the, the rise of information, albeit false in a lot of ways, but the rise in information was incredible in the last 18 months. Information that was actually pointing you away from Jesus Christ and not to Jesus Christ. Away from peace to fear in all of these things. And Jesus, what does he say? Can you? He says this. In these days, stand up. Lift up your eyes. Don't follow those teachings. Do not be deceived. He says there's itching ears out there. So I'm here to tell you that there's only one Messiah. There's one Savior, one Lord, one God. I want to repeat it again. I'll repeat it over and over and over. And they are not found in this world of politics, they're not found in world leaders. But he's found seated at the right hand of the Father right now. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. The name that is far above every name. The name that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one. Consider these past several months. Let me, let me throw this out. Consider these past several months as a trial run. Just think of it as a trial run. And use it to critique your spiritual health. How did you respond during this? I know there are things I've got to look at and say, here's, here's some things I really need to pay attention to. There's things we have to pay attention to. Someone said the other day that people have responded in two different ways. One is that they, they, they have been fearful and they've, they've capitulated. They've not stood up for Jesus Christ. And then there's others that just have gotten angry, kind of like Moses and struck the rock and because uh, they were frustrated with, with all the different things going on. And, I, and, I, and I'm confessing. I told uh, Annette when we were reading this together, I said, I'm guilty of number two. I don't want to strike the rock. But I'm jealous for what God has for you. I'm jealous for the direction that God wants to lead you, and it's to him. The Antichrist is coming, and he will deceive many into believing that he is the Christ. The Bible says that his greatest weapon will be deception. And why does Jesus, go back to it now, why does Jesus say, in answer to the question, say it with me, do not be deceived. He, there's, a, there's fundamental reasons he says that. Because he wants to keep you 
following him in especially the last days. The Bible says, in the last days, they will not be satisfied with sound doctrine, but will run after teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. The term used here is itchy ears. Isn't that a weird term? Itchy ears, meaning an itch that cannot be scratched. That's really what it means. That's what it means. A desire to massage rather than the message. A desire to charm rather than to challenge. A desire to entertain rather than to edify. We want to stay on course. And so, if we can say anything about this morning's message, stay on course. The main thing is still the main thing. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago is still true today. That we want to follow him. So guard your heart. And keep Jesus and his word the main thing. Keep his word guiding you and your heart. And here's the thing I'm going to finish with. This is what I love. All believers, all believers in Jesus Christ are going to end up on the Mount of Olives one day. That's the promise. Zechariah tells us that. Jesus says that um, in the ascension to the two angels say to the disciples, Hey, what are you looking up for? The, 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 the same Jesus you see going up is coming down. In the same place, it's right here on the Mount of Olives. But we'll all be with him. We're going to all be there. That's a view of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And that's where we will show up with him. Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 4, tells us that when Jesus returns the second time, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives in triumph because he's overcome. And now we're part of his kingdom. That's amazing to me. And all those that believe in him will stand with him. All those that know him will be there. So what do we do? We, we stand with him. What do we do in the meantime? Last three things. Get involved with other believers. Stay in fellowship. How do we do that? Stay in fellowship. Stay in fellowship. Stay in fellowship. Know those around you who are speaking, who are sharing uh, and I'm just going to say this. I, I was getting things from all over the world and all over the country that, that were saying, you've got to listen to this. And I'm saying, how long have you known this person? How long have you walked with the person? How long have you seen and seen this ministry tested out? Well, I haven't. I said, be careful. Just be careful. doesn't mean they don't have a good word. But listen, please be careful. And that's why Jesus says, hey, stay in fellowship. Make sure you do, because you can be accountable to one another. You can really be accountable uh, to one another, and you need to know that. You have to be accountable to each other. And then second, get active with unbelievers. Be a witness. There are people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, around us, that we can have interaction with, that we can spend time with. Get to know those people in your, li- in your, in your world, in your realm of influence, Get to know those that don't know Jesus Christ because you're the light. They, they, they don't always know how. People don't always know how to articulate that. But they just know when they're in your presence, there's a sense of peace and there's a sense of safety. We've had people say that to us. Uh, they, they don't always understand what it is, but we can, we can tell them it's Jesus. And Jesus makes a difference. And then the last thing, <laughs> get right with God. <laughs> Every day, get right with God. Every day, get right with God. Every day, get right with God. Because the day is coming. I heard a pastor that was asked the question, you probably heard this before, what would you do different if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow? You know his answer? 
I hope nothing. I hope nothing. I hope what I'm doing today is exactly what Jesus has told me to do when he comes again. That my life is on a firm foundation. We get right with him. Lord, we just thank you today for the amazing blessing that you in our lives. And for those, Father, that are hearing this message today, whether it's right now live here or online, or maybe they're listening to this on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday this next week, just ask that your grace, your grace would draw us in. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I just pray just a a blessing over those that are seeking right now. For those who have hungry hearts today, know that Jesus satisfies. For those that have hopeless lives, know that Jesus brings hope. For those whose lives are confused right now and you're living in a state of confusion, know that he brings peace. Jesus is our Lord. And we follow him. And we do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.